Hello, everybody. Welcome back to an all-new Incredible Cast. Today, we're going to be talking about the Incredible Pole Farm, and I'm joined as ever by my beautiful co-host Beth Pole, and our special guests today are none other than my mom and dad, Doctor Pole and Mrs. Pole. Say hello, guys. Hello, everybody. Hi. So this is actually the final two episodes of season one of the incredible pole farms that we'll be talking about. Uh, it's pretty incredible that we're already at the end of the series, but as things go, all good things must come to an end. And uh, speaking of that, um, so one of the first things we did and where we left off on the last episode was catching the sheep. So, Dad, uh, can you take us through uh, sheep wrangling and uh, animal wrangling in a nutshell? You mean they were still running in the field all by themselves and you were chasing them and they were just outrunning you? Well, it's a, it's well, a rather yeah. large it's a rather large field. It is <laughs> well, three acres. All, you, you never run after the animals because you cannot run fast enough. These animals, their only escape is running, so that's what they know how to do best. So you just have to just gently push them in the direction that you want them in. If they are used to grain, you can use a grain bucket ahead of them, and many times they'll follow you. But if they're not, then, yeah, gently push them. But definitely don't, don't chase them around because they scatter all over and get lost, and you just get tired. I, well, I feel like we were not chasing them, but uh, we were not having much luck at driving them where we wanted them to go. Your idea of opening that gate to the garden area al along the perimeter, and it was just basically the key that unlocked everything because we chased them along the outer perimeter gate, and they ran straight into the garden and then straight into the alleyway where we could easily catch right. them. I mean, it was right. It was basically. You went a, yeah. You basically, went, you went from a bigger area to a smaller, smaller area to, to the smallest. <laughs> and they did it kind of all willingly. It was yeah. like you planned yeah. it to embarrass yep. us. <laughs> Don't forget, I'm the veterinarian, Charles. I know animals. Well, I'd like to think I know animals after 10 years, but even I was having a hard time. Um, you know, our plans were different. I mean, you, you had a better idea of chasing them into the garden area. I obviously was a little bit fearful that if they could get out of that area, then they would just be gone. Um, but oh. it worked out like a charm. They just ran right into the small alleyway and, and that was it. That was done. The that main thing is with animals like this, you cannot be threatening. If you are threatening, then they run and they scatter. So what you have to do is get the whole flock going in the direction you want them in by gently pushing them. Well, it worked. Whatever, it did. Matt, whatever vet voodoo you had there worked really like a charm. And then, uh, then it was down to shearing them. Now, we used to shear sheep uh, once a year. But we hadn't done it for, what, about 20 years at that point? Or oh, more than that. I think the last ones 
you know, when you were in 48, so you were 18, how old are you now? Forget it. Don't say it. <laughs> you know? Yes. It's probably about 25 years. Tw 25 years ago yeah. that you, you uh, sheared sheep. Uh, is it like riding a bike or was it a little bit yes. difficult you know, to the, learn? The whole secret is that you put a sheep on their butt, basically. That's, that's how they do it in Australia. And they go fast. And the main thing is don't, you know, don't, yeah, how should I say that? Don't hurt them. The main thing is to keep them quiet. Now, when the sheep are pretty tame, you know, you can have them stand up, somebody hold on their head, and you just start shearing. Most of the time you do it against the hair. So you start from the back to the front. But the way they want it is the whole fleece in one big piece. So you start on the belly, and then you go from the belly up the sides. And then, you know, you do the other side, and then finally over their back, and you have a, the whole fleece is all in one piece. But isn't it when you turn them on their back to hold them, that kind of tranquilizes them? Yes. So it's just yeah, like if, turning a chicken over on its right. back. It will lay there or a bird. Yeah. If you just set them on their butt, there is no feet on the ground, and they basically sit there and say, oh, my gosh, they got me. Did you grow up shearing sheep, or were you trained in vet school? I mean, obviously, for, for the veterinary I was, practice, probably. No, I was the to... youngest, and there's some brothers doing it. And, you know, we, yeah, we did it our own, and we sold the wool to what they call the, the federation where they bought the wool, and they made the best sheep wool blanket. We still have them, right, Diane? Right, yeah, yes. so nice. We obviously weren't very successful getting it off in one coat. Uh, our sheep were um, what I'd like to call the uh, the, uh, the barbershop college haircuts, kind of, uh, where they all were a little bit uneven. Uh, but we did avoid the Knicks. And that was uh, when I was doing, when you said, here, you do it. And I started, I mean, that was the real terrifying thing was nicking them because it's it's pretty easy. Their skin, if you get their skin in those clamps, you can give them a pretty good cut, like really oh, yes. quickly. And this is what you have to do. You, you pull the skin tight so that it's smooth and not wrinkled because you cut in the wrinkle. But if the skin is smooth, so you put your fist someplace, smooth out the skin, and then just... Let the scissors, let the clippers do the job. Which is what makes shearing some sheep breeds more challenging than others because some are really naturally wrinkly and it's harder to pull that, that yes. skin and back. Then, and then your, your sheep are, what do you, those are the merinos, those yeah. black ones. That wool is special wool. It's very, very thick. And, and you know, the hair is close together. And that makes it really hard shearing. You've got to be a professional to do a good job. It also kind of, yes, yeah. It also kind of had a tremendous amount of grease, which gummed up our uh, shears. Like after one lamb, we started completely clean, and by the first one, they were really gummed. By the time we got through like the third one, we actually had to take it apart and put new blades on because they were so gummed up and uh, dull at that point that they weren't cutting at all. Yeah, and the day was pretty cool, too, which didn't help. 
the oils just thickened and coagulated as opposed to. Yep, that's that's the sheep. You know, that's the sheep, and that's how they stay warm. To be honest with you, that lanolin oil—it's actually uh, when you you have it in there, though. Uh, people who are allergic to wool, and I'm one of them, the oil actually will keep you from having any kind of trouble handling the wool. But the minute you uh, the minute you pull the the or wash it and clean that lanolin out, and then it becomes the wool. Like people who are allergic generally will start breaking out in hives from that wool. So it's kind of interesting that lanolin actually is is so thick covers, on it. Yeah, the lanolin covers your skin, right? Yeah, it just yep. basically protects you and the sheep from water or anything else. So we we did get all four sheep sheared. Uh, how how Beth were you happy? With the job we did, I mean, you had big plans for that wool. What 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 are you gonna do with it? Well, the wool didn't come out quite as the fleece I had envisioned or watched on YouTube or that was in my <laughs> books. But the sheep came out very well, and I was happy about the even shear on the sheep because that's important for subsequent uh, fleece growth. And also, of course, as you mentioned, Charles, no nicks, which is really important for the well-being of the animal. So if I could have had a perfect fleece but a nicked-up sheep, I think I would rather take in the the pieces that I got in this case um, to allow the animal to be healthier. You got a lot of uh, what What are you going to make them into, the little small ones, like dust dust balls for garden the Garden balls, I think, and mats. G yeah. Garden balls. <laughs> what? Not sweaters? Just the little ones. There's some little, little pieces that I think will be perfect in the garden for insulation and retaining moisture. You, we can maybe make a sweater for tater. There might be enough <laughs> enough of a piece. It doesn't need it. We actually got the sheep sheared, and then the next thing was the birthing. Um, I put cameras on the sheep so that we could see, and you called it pretty, you called it pretty accurately. You, uh, when we got the sheep sheared and you put them in the pen, you said that you thought only one of them might be pregnant. You didn't suspect the other three were pregnant at all. Was it just from the, the weight and the bellies or did you look at the, uh, the, um, udders and and how they had developed or what yes. what got yes. you to call that yeah you have to look at the whole animal you know first of all you know the if they're pregnant the uterus has lambs in it hopefully there's a couple in there but in this case it was only one and so yeah that is bigger and then the other develops too none of the other three had any signs of that so i said but i felt them you know, you can, what you call, blot the lambs in the uterus by yeah, just poking in the belly a little bit. And the other ones didn't have anything like that. And only one, I could feel a lamb in the uterus. Well, you, you called it accurately. So we put a camera in there. And I remember checking, Beth, you went out and checked pretty much every day at that point. Yeah, I was out there see, all the time. <laughs> to see if they had given birth. And... um it, it was kind of amazing to watch it because the you went into labor in the middle of the night um, and then ended up having the baby at about seven, eight in the morning. And it was a very quick process. She laid down and boom, 
the lamb was just there and out. And everybody came over to investigate to see what the heck had just happened. And mama turned around, started licking the lamb up, and it was up and, and running around with the, the other lambs within, like, I would say two or three minutes. It, it, it all happened very quickly. That's nature, Charles, because that way predators just don't care. And you can tell that these are herd animals. They work together. You know, they were around it. So predators would see this young lamb because that's the most susceptible. It can't get away yet. But, you know, you they get licked off and everything. And the minute they get up, they nurse and they can run just as first just as fast as the sheep can. Beth, you had quite a shock when you went out there that morning. You had checked every day and said, like, oh, no lamb, no yeah. lamb, no lamb. Yeah. And then it was like lamb. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, like every morning I came out to do chores and I'm doing just kind of the usual, like making sure everybody's up and around and um, nobody looks odd or acting strange. And of course, the check on, on Jean. And uh, the gene was there and everything looked fine. And then the sheep separated a little bit and there was this little teeny baby white lamb staring right back at me. <laughs> it was pretty fantastic. And of course they wait while you're not there. <laughs> That's also the herd thing. You know, they have the little ones when nobody and no other animals are around. Yeah. It's all in nature. You know, yes, they are you know, farm animals and they have been domesticated. But they never, lots of said, they never forget how they would be in the wild. Yeah, it was a pretty great surprise to just come out mm -hmm. and find he'd already been born and was up and moving around and seemed quite healthy. It, it, it really was a cool experience. Uh, now, you and mom had a off-camera experience. Unfortunately, we don't have... <laughs> any video of that but do you kind of want to that was a good idea that we didn't do, have a camera do you want to walk us through that mom we had you come over and and it was your farming experience and unfortunately we we did not capture it <laughs> well we had to move the pens or, or the sheep around so that the mother and the baby would be by itself so yeah we had a lot of other hindrances out there in the barn that we had to move around. But in order to get from one end to the other where the pen was set up, um, everybody seemed to get out and everybody seemed to run. And it was kind of like chasing your kid around <laughs> the playground. It was total chaos in the barn. It really was. Mom and I are standing there and we've just got sheep running all over the place. And nobody is where they're supposed to be except for mom and the baby. <laughs> right once we got them separated then we could work on the other ones and kind of keep them on and we got our gates out and used a little of our experience that we've had before so we managed to get them but yeah it was kind of like a circus at first well i'll tell you if you wouldn't have been there i would have been in total tears i would not have had a clue what to do with any of these sheep and as i have learned they are very strong so it's not like i was just gonna <laughs> put my arms around one and move it but you you actually have like a good amount of experience, mom, moving, doing stuff like that, moving sheep. And a lot of times you would have to do well, not always, but you would have to do some work with the sheep when dad was gone. And if there was an issue, I had to go out there with us kids and kind of figure it out. So it must have been like old times for you. 
Yeah, it really was. Used to, instead of hollering at your kids to do things, I was telling Beth, get over here, move that over there, and grab that <laughs> date. And so, but she was a good listener and she followed instructions, and that's the way we did it. I try. We had to get those sheep. There was no way I was telling dad what we had done. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the ultimate fear behind it that we yes. would have to tell the guys. Right. Because they didn't hear much about it until now. <laughs> What had happened? Did you leave the gate open, like when you were moving the mother, and the, or did they all just push past you to to get out of the gate? They pushed past us. We didn't have much choice. Like Beth said, they're pretty strong and they're they're pretty heavy. They don't look like it, but they are. And once we tried to get the mother and the baby out, the other ones were just shoving us beside them and ran beyond us. Yeah, and because they're lower to the ground, you can't kind of use your body the same way. They'll just take you out at the knees and knock you over or push you out of the way. And so, mm. that, like, the idea of body checking them in position, like, that was gone very quickly. <laughs> and like, uh, like most garages or barns and stuff like that, there was stuff that was laid around. I mean, there were boards over there that were piled up, and the boards were all po neatly piled. But sheep are like goats. They can go up over the top of things and around the corners and everything else. And we're not quite as agile with our two feet as what those sheep were with their four. And while the barn doesn't seem very big in general, when your animals are loose all over it, it seems like it's a very big space. <laughs> right. Well, you guys had to handle it obviously because we, we handled it too. you did you did handle it and and the reason that was that i wasn't able to come out is actually several days before i had my own adventure dad with a a horse and we've we've talked about this several times but um we went out on a emergency farm call and it was a horse with choke and I was holding the horse and the horse reared up and hit me in the knee and severed my patella tendon. And I was completely laid up. I retrospectively, I want to ask you, like, um, was it difficult for you to go through that time period kind of shorthanded? You had been used to you know, having me out on the road, helping you out. And here I was like completely laid up and unable to, to, to ride with you. Did you, was it kind of like having to adjust back to old times? Right. No, I had to yell more at the farmers to, Hey, grab that tail and push it up and all that stuff. It was, you know, I miss you in that way, especially when you work on, on steers and everything in a shoot. But then, uh, yeah, I didn't have to tell you how to do it. And uh, now I had to tell the farmer again, uh, straight up in the air and make it uh, tight. So, yes, it was back to old times, but we managed. Yeah, when you work together a lot, you learn what the other person needs and it becomes an instinct and, and just a natural behavior that one does and the other expects. And so I'm sure it right. was a bit of a change. Yeah. That makes it nice when you, and especially when you can depend on somebody like Charles who's strong enough to you know, grab a tail so you don't get kicked by all these wild steers. And uh, injuries happen. I mean, it, it is one of those things. Uh, you know, you've had your injury. It was your shoulder, not your knee, but you did have your injury one time with the cow. Yep. And, you know, I had my injury with the knee. Um, Beth, how was it for you? Obviously, I'm laid up, but now 
now the farm becomes yours. And it was something <laughs> really where you didn't ex expect to have to, to just take over. Like how, how was that learning curve for you? Well, you learned you fast, don't you? I do learn fast, but it wasn't just a physical learning of things, although that in and of itself had its own set of challenges. Um, I am not used to hauling hay bales and just I don't have I have not developed the physical strength that's needed to do some of the things that Charles does every day out in the in the yard to take care of the farm. And so not only was it a physical experience for me, but it was also learning what needed to be done to care for the animals in a new way. Um, that was day-to-day -day care, learning to watch for what was normal behavior and what wasn't normal behavior versus my more casual, like I'm out in the field with um, interaction with the animals, with the kids, where half of my attention is divided to our, our children and their experience um, and their safety and well-being. And so um, there were kind of those components that were happening, but also this emotional piece that was happening. It's like, this was supposed to be Charles's farm, and it's not that it wasn't our farm, but the level of ownership that transferred to me was still kind of early on in our, our farming experience. And so I wasn't fully ready for that immersion. But I learned quick and we figured it out with the help of, of you guys and with the help of Ben and some other folks. And we did we did make it through. And I think it gave me a new sense of, of ownership and responsibility for the things that need to be done. Certainly an appreciation, Charles, not just of all of the work that has to go into um, taking care of the farm outside, but just the physicality of it as well. I was glad when you could come back, but I will be frank. I'm really glad that you did not get injured in like November coming into the cold months <laughs> versus being this injured spring. in April coming into the months where the weather was getting nicer and nicer every day because I am not a big fan of the cold outside. So that was, of all the things, that's that was the best. <laughs> I was going to say, I can relate to that because when Dad had his ankle replaced, it was the end of November and it was just going into winter and we had lots of snow that year. And I think, as you're saying, you learn to appreciate the other person and what they have been doing all the time. You understand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would have to get up. I would have to do the chickens. I would have to gather the eggs and make sure everybody had food and water and climb over the snow. And I would have to put the wood in the wood burner. And I fell down in the snow and slipped on the ice. And I banged my head on the, on the <laughs> yes. chimney. And... I had all kinds of experiences. <laughs> so it's a learning experience. I know exactly where you come from and what, and you really appreciate what they've done and I'm glad when they're back to it. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Right, Charles? Yeah, exactly. Well, I keep telling her all the time, hey, I got to do animals and no, yep. but you, is there any part of you that misses it? Um, like the, the experience, because it does, immerse you more into the animals and into the farm where you're more I mean like you you get out there it's not like you go you don't ever go out but you're just it's not a daily occurrence it's sure. not an immersion no it, it became a routine and it was something that I enjoyed I liked the animals so I enjoyed spending time with them being out there to see them and you know it probably took me longer to do chores not just because I had uh, things to learn and it took me <laughs> we don't want to talk about how long it took me to learn to get these hay bales dragged from one end of a barn to another that was it by the time Charles got back to doing chores I could 
pick them up and heft them and heave them and it wasn't a problem. But I'll tell you, moving them to start, it was like holding on to the, the strings and dragging it. And then I'd have to stop and take a breath and then drag again. So um, I do miss like the outdoor time. I certainly miss the time with the animals and, and getting to commune with them a little bit. Um, but I know how much that time is important to you too, because you also enjoy them. So it's a good, like, it's nice to be able to know that I can do it. I do miss it. Um, but it has to be a trade off with the kids. Like somebody's going to, you're going to have to stay with the kids so I can get out and get my chore time. <laughs> yeah. So obviously you, you did a great job. I mean, we saw a real change in the animals. Some of the animals I, I noticed were, a lot more worked with. I, I mean, it's not like I don't work with them, but it's taking that extra time to like pet them and, and talk to them and, and just be around them that, that did actually kind of socialize them more. And, and I think it was a, it was a real uh, benefit for the emus, especially. I think the emus were one of the animals that came along the most. I mean, I'd gotten them kind of used to me, uh, but you really got them kind of to where we could pet them now. I mean, we can really go up and handle them at this point. And, and I, that's a, that's a real credit to you and the, the time, obviously you, you, uh, I think you spent most of the time with the sheep and, uh, Romeo and Jean, and that was your first baby born on the farm. How was that experience for you? Oh, it was really special. It was really special. Um, kind of hard to describe in words, um, but kind of akin to, I think, having a child for the first time. It was just something we've been looking forward to and waiting for the baby to happen, and perhaps me even more so because I felt, with you having been injured, I felt even more responsible for paying attention and doing the best I could to help make sure I either identified a problem or that um, the animal was, that she was going to be okay. And so I really had this close attachment to, uh, to Jean. And then, of course, when Romeo was born, I was fascinated by this little lamb that we, we now had. So one, one last thing while we're talking about the work that you did. Obviously, in this episode, we, we saw a lot of the bees. And um, you, again, went from kind of not having anything or not doing anything to the bees to becoming more comfortable to the bees, to doing research to the bees, to really in the spring, splitting the bees all by yourself, doing everything all by yourself. Uh, what did you feel about that? Like that transformation? Did you, did it, did it kind of occur to you how far you had come at that point? Um, it was there a sense of pride like what what was that experience for you to get to that point of like I'm splitting bees I'm, I'm doing it all myself yeah I think like with anything the more you put experience under your belt and the more you work with something and make an effort to do it and to learn it and to immerse yourself in it um, I think you naturally grow, and with that comes a sense of pride and ownership. Successes, yes. Failures, yes. I felt all of that very keenly. Um, but I do think that by the time we split the bees, I had a much greater sense of um, not just pride in my ability to do this, but also in ownership and my understanding, not just of 
um, the bee as a superorganism, but what I needed to do to be able to care for them. But it's a learning process. Like we're still constantly learning what to do and how to do it um, and trying to adapt to the cues that we're getting from the bees on things that are needed or from the environment. Well, at uh, least, Charles, you didn't name every single bee by name, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I might have tried. <laughs> the first time I walked out and I saw a bee, I was slightly tempted to want to name it something, and then I realized how many more there are, and it's, you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, 50,000 of them. You have to have right. a lot of names. So, obviously, we went and and kind of worked on the final solution for the uh, draining of the sheep hut. And I can say all this time later, it is the final solution. Even coming back into spring again, we're seeing the water drain away. Um, creating that swale um, and, and moving that earth away from it, uh, it, it was like a really the right decision um can you dad can you talk about just contending with like this idea of like farming as a learning process like well, almost like a that, trial and error right that happens when you know you put the pen in a low area <laughs> and all the water collects around it then you have to put a swale in there to let it drain out and that looks good. Right now, you know, it stays nice and dry. Of course, you now they're walking through it and you have to clean out the manure, but at least you can do it without getting stuck in the mud. So that swale, yeah, that was perfectly done. And thank goodness Ben knows how to handle that big machinery. So it got done good. It did get done good. But what I was asking, I guess, is like, in your experience, at least in my experience so far, farming, um, it very much is trial and error. Like you might have an idea how to fix something. It doesn't work. You modify it. It doesn't work. You modify it again. And finally, you kind of figure it out. Was that your experience with the animals? I mean, did you do everything right the first time? or? Oh, yeah, that... right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on. Life is a learning experience. And even after all these years, you know, if you think you know it all, you're done for it. Nobody knows it all. You just learn every day. So you're just constantly kind of trial and yes. erroring and, and, and just, yes, it out. trial and error and accept, you know, learn from experience. If you do it wrong the first time, you know, don't be like, a, you know, a whatever. So you do it again. You got to be smart like a donkey that, uh, hey, you do it wrong once, you hit the rock, you know where the rock is, so you never hit it again. Well, Learning, that's the whole secret. And yeah, common sense. You look at the things, well, if we do it this way, would it work? No, let's try it the other way. But it didn't work either. Well, now we find a better way of doing it. Yeah, farming sounds to me a lot like life, just listening to you're talking about the experiences and making adjustments and adapting and learning what not to do and what, you know, repetitive behaviors and doing things that do work and keep doing them. But then you sometimes get things out of left field that you haven't encountered before and you have to adapt and adjust. And yeah, farming is a lot like life. Exactly right. And I think, and I think you did very well, Beth, this summer learning everything. <laughs> Thanks. 
It was trial by fire hose, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the that. problem, you know. Charles wasn't there to say, okay, this is how I did it. So, it, yeah, that was unexpected, that injury. But thankfully, he's okay, and we got through. And we got through. Yeah, as a as a family. That's right. And that, I think that brings us back to the to my kind of last thought, and what I wanted to talk about was planting the garden. Obviously, was a chore, something that we you know had to get done. Some it was rewarding. I mean, in the fall, getting all those vegetables, and it's a very uh, homesteady, farmy thing to do, but. It was really planning it as a family union, doing this as a family. Beth, what what was your experience like now coming out of the show, um, thinking about doing it as a family, uh, as a as a true family farm? Um, did, was it was it as rewarding um, as you thought it would be? Were there things that you kind of came like unexpected things that that came out of it no i do think it was as rewarding as i hoped it would be uh and to reinforce that abigail asked me she saw one of my seed catalogs um in the living room the other day and she asked me when we were going to plant the garden again and i think that that just really um for me hit home because it let me know that it wasn't just an impactful and fun, special thing for me to do for my family, but that it was also meaningful for her as well. And so, yeah, I mean, definitely in the garden, I had a few challenges. There were some squash bugs that I had to battle with. And um, I had some plants that didn't do quite as I'd hoped. And I had a few that did better than I expected. And I had more produce that I could figure out what to do with. But, um, you know, I it was rewarding. And I think that was one of the really, that was the reason why we did the garden was to be able to share some of the memories that I have as a child of my mom gardening with you and the kids, but then also, um, to be able to, um, relive that experience a little bit, but then also take it to a level that I wanted to, which meant doing some of the preserving and the work in the kitchen with um, some recipes and things that needed some of these vegetables and um, more unique products that we grew. Mom and dad, seeing us go through this process and doing the farm, obviously we talked to you about it, told you that we were going to be doing this and, you know, you agreed to help and everything, but watching us go through it and reflecting back, um, do you have any thoughts about uh, kind of the process and, and what you saw on this side, like watching us struggle with it and rather than doing it yourself, seeing us, seeing somebody, your children kind of do that family farm and, and what you kind of reflect or think about it, um, looking at us well, doing it. Right. Well, I didn't think you struggled too much. I thought that you did a fairly well, good enough job. Main thing is, you know, get the seeds in the ground, get the weeds out and let it come growing. And yes, most of the time you get always way too much. And that's why, you know, people that have gardens always have stuff to give away. And you guys did the same thing. There was a lot of things that, that grew good. And then, yes, it is healthier food. It's fresh and nothing tastes better than coming a tomato right off the vines. But I think as a whole, from the time when you first said that you guys wanted to start a farm, I thought, oh, my gosh, you don't realize what you're getting into <laughs> and all the work that you got to do and all that you're going to have to go through. It's not just a matter of directing somebody. 
you've got a lot of work and you guys have handled it very well. I'm very proud of both of you. I think you've done a good job. You both have learned a lot. You've both come a long ways. And um, But the nice thing is it's outside work. The kids can be with you. They can help. You're not sure if they take a green tomato, you just throw it in the field and let the cows eat it. But they're outside. And I think that's the main thing. And this is why farming is such a nice thing. You are outside in the fresh air and enjoy it. But it's a family adventure too. Yes. And you do it as a family. And there's nothing better than that to be able to work with, with the family. That would surprise me, I think, uh, about it. And, and having grown up on the farm and, you know, been around it for a lot of years um, of my life, reflecting on it like there it really and i mentioned this in the episode but just kind of it, it really stuck with me how many lessons you learn on the farm about life and it's why it's so good for the kids i mean you learn about life and death you know birth um challenges uh hard work camaraderie leaning on on you know each other we we had to do that there were just so many things that we had to do that you could take away and use in so many different areas of your life whether it had to do with farming or not um like it, they really stuck out and you could almost pinpoint each le life lesson that we learned throughout the process yep and that's the nice thing about you know farming outside Take the family with you and work together. So what should we do for season two? What animals should, and projects should we do? What's your recommendation, Dad? Hey, I know somebody that's willing to give you a pig. <laughs> I, I think I know somebody who wants a pig. Yeah, actually, I wouldn't mind pigs. Fresh bacon is always great. I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not what Abigail has in mind. No. <laughs> Beth, uh, what what are your what are your hopes for for another year? What would you what would you want to accomplish? Oh my goodness, Charles. Um, well, I have some beautification projects that I'd kind of like to do with the sheep hut and the emu pen. And I know you're not going to like these words, but I really would like to explore a silver pasture more um, and look at some of the integration with that into our existing pasture. Um, we'll she wants to, to play on trees in the middle of our hayfield, Dad. <laughs> There's a philosophy no. to it. <laughs> See? <laughs> you put them around the edge. We have to learn more about it. <laughs> the uh, the I think one of the interesting ideas that you had that's kind of a, the more that I think about it, the more exciting it gets is actually doing a berry patch mm -hmm. and planting berries up at the uh, the property and and you know, doing a deer fence around it and, and putting netting over top. Um, but we we actually went and toured a berry patch that was very similar in a very similar area. And it was really cool how they figured out how to protect those berries. And, and the I kids could just, loved it. The I kids mean, they loved just, it. Silas, of course, as you know, loves he will blueberries. Eat <laughs> gallons of blueberries. He'd be Veruca Salt if he could, if we let him eat as many as he wanted. From well, Walker. we have the area here that is just beautiful for it because the pasture is not good and it's a little hard to mow, and that is just beautiful for uh, 
Yep. Do you blueberries have... and and raspberries and all that stuff. Yeah. Do you have any of those yeah. telephone poles left over? Yep. <laughs> I got a couple other berries in mind too. Some strawberries. Some Johannes and... berries. Yeah, I got my little oh, list. Oh yeah. <laughs> Here we go. He says. Yeah, juniper berries. <laughs> Not necessarily juniper, but I have a few more. Yeah, all right. <laughs> You're weird, very girl. We'll get to it. That's exciting. Maple syrup, tapping some maple trees and trying our hand on that's that. That's always good. Yeah, but that's a lot of work. Uh, everything's a lot of work. It's called right. it's tree farming. <laughs> Just uh, like your cow farming, your tree farming. Yes. would be nice if you were around it because you know there's a lot of armies that are making maple syrup. And uh, it takes a lot of work. What did we say? 40 gallons of sap make one gallon of maple syrup. So there's a lot of boiling that you have to do. And you have to be there. Yeah. And uh, you cannot do it on the stove in the kitchen. Then you get just a pint of maple I, syrup. I know people that have done it yes. on the stove in oh, the yeah. kitchen. And their wives are all complaining about the mess. I'll be honest, after doing the honey extraction in the kitchen, I'm going to have to draw a line at maple yeah, syrup. No. It took me weeks. For weeks, Abigail would walk in the kitchen, despite how many times I've mopped and wiped. Still sticky, Mama, she says. Well, <laughs> she there's. Knows. I've been reading a, quite a lot about reverse osmosis processing to take the water, extract the water out to help shorten the boiling time. You can shorten it by up to 60% if you do reverse osmosis. There's a couple of cool cool technology things we've come a long way from the days of having to boil maple syrup for all day but uh, we'll get into that next season is that so, before or after the robot gardens fully up and running that is after <laughs> the robot garden. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was up and running they just we didn't get to it it took a few extra a few extra days to get it up and running but um and some uh, some technical help but this but season we're gonna get it nailed and we're Charles gonna get is gonna it have a, a lettuce um a grocery market lettuce selection for Are everyone. you going to have your own farm market now? Yeah. Yes. Not bad. <laughs> well, that might be also on season two cards. We'll have to see. <laughs> and we hope that you stay tuned as well. So thank you, everybody, for joining us for the this episode of the Incredible Cast. Obviously, we're wrapping up the Incredible Poll Farms. But we'll be back soon with more episodes of the Incredible Cast, and we hope you guys uh, look forward to them. We look forward to coming back in a few weeks. Thank you all. We hope you've enjoyed the Incredible Farm Show, and we are so excited to keep meeting with you here. Final thoughts, Mom and Dad? Keep watching. Thank you for just being with us. And yes, we're having fun doing it, and I hope that that shows you know, there's fun in doing it. And maybe more people are interested in starting something up like this. Be my guest and try it. That's right. You got to try. All right. The main thing is you don't have to start with 300 acres and 150 cows <laughs> and 40 horses and 60 goats. You can start little and expand as much or as little as you want. It's That's amazingly right. what you see now is how many people now have chickens. Yeah, I, I think don't that's know if great. that came from the show or not, but you know, chickens, they are so easy to keep and fresh eggs taste real good. They sure do. They taste fantastic. Well, thank you everybody for joining us, and we'll be back with a, another incredible cast very soon. 
See you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.